Our passage is Ruth chapter 2, beginning of verse 17, and that is page 235 in your Red Pew Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible of your own, it should be a Red Pew Bible that looks something like this somewhere nearby. If you want to hunt one of those up, we'd like for everybody to be able to see the passage as it's being preached. Again, that is Ruth chapter 2, beginning at verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to an epaph. That's about 30 pounds. She gathered it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to, her, to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Bill. So let's pray. And this morning, uh, we will get to come to the table uh, and take communion together uh, after the sermon. So let's pray together. Father, we pause and still our hearts before you. We need this morning to hear from you, we need to receive from you, we need your renovating, rescuing grace to come to us afresh, because Lord, we need it so desperately, so continually, we need your rescue and your grace in our life. So I pray that this morning that we would dare to believe that your grace really is that big, and that we really can open our hearts to you, Lord, come and minister to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So kids, I have a question for us to get us started this morning. Have you ever had someone rescue you? That is, have you ever been in a situation that maybe you were in danger, things were really hard, hard circumstances, and you were in need and someone put themselves out? And came in to your life at great cost and risk to themselves. So, Amelia, your hand went up quick. So I'm imagining you heard of one. Do you know of one?
Wow. So what, so follow the question, what did it make you feel for your caving instructor? Yeah, right. Yeah, to say the least. You know, it's, it is a powerful experience for someone to come in and rescue you at a moment of utter desperation and need. And I'm sure many of us have had that experience in our life. Uh, I was thinking about this and one, one story came to mind. I've actually shared this story before, but I think it's been years ago. But um, this is probably about 10 years ago and I was on the freeway. I was going through Chattanooga and I blew a tire out. And thankfully, I was able to get it off the road and off onto the exit ramp. And it was actually Central Avenue exit ramp right there in Chattanooga. And I get off to the ramp and I roll down, tire's gone. And I, I kind of have that feeling that you have when you kind of find yourself in dire straits. You know, it's not the best part of town. It had just started raining. And I'm sitting there thinking, what am I going to do? Uh, I'd, I'd like to think I'm a lot more proficient at changing tires, <laughs> but I've not done that a lot. And so I get out, I'm looking for the tire iron. Unfortunately, there's not one in there, okay? And I'm just like, what am, what's going to happen here? And about that time, this big Ford King Ranch pulls up. A pair, a pair of alligator skin boots steps out. <laughs> and this wiry-looking cowboy steps out of this King Ranch truck. He's got the handlebar mustache, looking real fancy and sharp, and he comes up. He said, you need some help? I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> I said, I don't have a tire iron. I'm kind of stuck. I don't know what to do. And he said, can I help you? And I said, please. So he gets out this tire iron. He goes to work like he knows exactly what he's doing. He pulls the tire off. Puts in the back of his truck. He says, come on, we're going to go to my shop. I'm like, whoa, this is amazing, you know. I mean, I, you're sitting there and you're praying, God, come and help me. And he sends somebody who's got a shop. So we get in his truck. And uh, I said, so what do you do? Because this is a little strange. You, you broke down, you need a tire, and somebody knows exactly what to do. He said, well, my name is Corky Coker. And I own the largest tire distributor in the world. And I said, oh my gosh. <laughs> he said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. He said, so I'm figuring you don't think this is a coincidence, do you? <laughs> I said, not a chance. So we go to his shop, which was right around the corner from that. And this guy takes a day. I mean, he has his workers take my tire. They replace the tire, do all of that stuff. He spent like hours with me, just talking, showing me around. All they, they have a museum, they have all kinds of stuff there. But I was absolutely blown away by this guy who, I mean, he had stuff to do. He had a lot going on. But in some moment, he was moved to interrupt his whole life and to inconvenience himself to help me. And I was incredibly moved by that. I mean, I still feel great affection for this guy. So I share that because it's, <clears throat> it's a very personal experience for me of this sense of someone stepping into your reality, stepping down into your mess at cost of themselves, taking your problem upon themselves, owning the problem. Now here's the thing. It is hard for us to receive rescue, isn't it? It's hard for us to receive, period. 
Because we like to feel like we can handle life. Like we can change our own tire. Like we can make life work on our own. And so sometimes it's hard. And we find ourselves in circumstances in our life that are hard, that are challenging. And so often we feel alone in those times. And we think it's all up to me. And it's so hard to receive the help that God sends us and the rescue that he wants to bring into our life. But this morning in our passage, we see a picture of God's rescue coming in right into the very darkness, right into the reality of an incredibly hard circumstance, the circumstance we've been walking through in the book of Ruth. So let's jump into our passage here and see this picture of God's rescue. And if you remember where we're at in the book... This book is about two widows, Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And they have both lost their husbands. Ruth was married to Naomi's son. And uh, we've talked about how in this culture, uh, in the ancient Near East, if you were a widow, you were incredibly vulnerable. You had very little social protection in your life. You had no way to provide for yourself. You were probably facing starvation and utter dependence on the mercy of other people. And even beyond that, we've learned that Ruth is a foreigner. She's a Moabite. So to be a widow and a Moabite puts you at the very bottom of the social structure that day. And they have come back to Bethlehem and they are facing this stark reality of a life and a future where there is no prospects for self-protection and, and building a, a good and solid life. They're facing starvation. And so we've watched how Ruth goes out. You know, uh, uh, Naomi is utterly just despondent. She's kind of given up on life. We saw that in verse 1 where she says, God's against me. God's abandoned me. Don't even call me Naomi anymore, which meant pleasant. Call me bitter. Because that's what he's made my life. I mean, she is just at a place where she feels forgotten by God. Maybe you know that reality. Maybe you've been there before. It's the kind of thing that you feel when hardship strikes, when you're facing adversity, when things get hard. I mean, even in that moment when a tire blows out and you think, God, where are you? How do you allow something like this in my life? And so often we think that, especially in our culture. Because we have no category or resources for suffering in our life. Because our culture is constantly saying, hey, live your best life. You can have it all. If you just try a little bit harder and you just get it right, you can have that perfect, wonderful, happy life. And so when we face adversity in our culture, we immediately begin to think, God, you've abandoned me. What, did I do something wrong? Or are you just forgotten about me? So I think we can relate to what Naomi's feeling. But we're seeing Ruth committing herself to Naomi. Now we saw last week, in, or two weeks ago, in that part that we saw where, where Ruth finds herself in Boaz's field, a man of prominence in the community who notices her, who brings protection, who brings covering. She opens herself to receive his care. We see this beautiful picture of masculinity and femininity playing out there. And so all of this stuff has happened. That's covered one day. But the thing you've got to realize is that Naomi is at home. She doesn't know what's happening. That's where we pick up here. She has been at home. Who knows? What, what do you think she's feeling? We're not told in the passage. I mean, maybe she is sitting there just feeling beyond hope. 
just hopeless. I mean, Ruth has gone out that day just to find a random field to glean in. But they didn't, they didn't have, uh, they didn't know how that was going to turn out. Would she be taken advantage of? Maybe Naomi is at home worried about Ruth. Maybe just hoping, maybe she can come home with just a little bit to eat. I mean, that would have been wonderful. Just a day's uh, earning of food. That would have been a great provision. So, we're, we're watching Ruth come home and begin to tell Naomi what's taken place. And Naomi... Just remember, as she comes into this place, was utterly hopeless. God's forgotten me. I'm in the darkness. Jumping in at verse 17 here. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. Now, this is, as Bill pointed out, about 30 pounds of barley. So you just imagine, you know, if you've ever been down to the Ace Hardware or Kegel's feed and seed, and you buy yourself a bag of feed or a bag of seed, and you throw that big heavy bag on your shoulder, it's heavy. And yet she's lugging all of this barley home. It was a tremendous take on the day. I mean, you would never, I mean, even the harvesters would have been blown away by gathering that much barley. So she comes home with all of this barley which is a picture both of Boaz's generosity and also Ruth's determination and her grit and her hard work and her character. But not only that, we're told that she has brought some of the leftover food that was provided from Boaz. We see there this picture of Ruth who's bringing nurture to Naomi. Now Naomi didn't bother to go. She's so stuck in her kind of hopelessness that she couldn't even participate. And yet here you see Ruth caring for her. It's a tremendous picture of her love, not, you know, being short with her, not like, well, you didn't even go work, but rather her care and concern for Naomi, and she comes home with this food. And so, what is Naomi's response here? Look at what she says. Uh, Verse 19, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Naomi's like, whoa, (laughs) whoa. I hoped maybe you had a handful of food, but you come in with a bag of seed over your shoulder. What happened? She never would have expected this. She's blown away. What's going on? Now, I love what happens in the second part of verse 19. In the Hebrew here, and you kind of see it in the English, it kind of stretches out the answer. So she's asked, whose field did you go to? This is unbelievable. I never imagined this. And the next part of the sentence strings it out so much so that you get the answer at the very end. It's kind of this rhetorical device to build up the anticipation here. Look at what she says. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. And the name of the man uh, I worked with today is... Drum roll, please. It's kind of how it sets up. Like, who will it be? Who took notice of you? Boaz. Now, to Ruth, that name didn't mean a lot. I mean, she met the man, she experienced his care, but she did not know the significance of who that is. But watch what happens to Naomi when she hears his name. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living 
and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Now, what's amazing here is that she says, she's, I mean, immediately blown away at this. And what's interesting that she begins to say here is we begin to see again that word that we started the book with. You remember? What was the word, the Hebrew word? Hesed, or chesed, right? You got to kind of hock a little bit when you're saying that word. Hesed. Hesed is this huge Hebrew concept. I mean, in the English, we translate it in different kind of ways. We translate, well, here it's translated kindness. Some places it's loving kindness. Sometimes it's unfailing love, different, a steadfast love. But the reality is we don't have an English word that really captures it because it's too full and it's too rich in the Hebrew. It's love that is committed. It's love for the long haul. It's a one-way love. It's a choosing to love another person regardless of what you're going to get back. You know, in our culture, we hear a lot about love. We're in love with love. But our whole concept of love in our culture is that love is a feeling. It's something I feel because it's something I get. Well, the biblical concept of love is completely different. It's not what I feel, it's what I give. Love is an action. Love is something I choose to give to another person regardless of what I'm getting out of the deal. And that is Hesed. And it's a picture of God's heart. Where he commits himself to people. He binds himself to people. He burns the ships. He says, I'm all in. And it doesn't matter what I get back because I'm committing myself to you. And that is Hesed. And here, Ruth, when she hears what's happened and she hears who it is, she says, God has not forgotten his Hesed. See, that was the problem for Naomi. Because of her circumstances, she had begun to doubt what she knew about God's character. That he is a God of Hesed. This he is a God that will never forsake his people. He will never run out on them. He will never abandon them. He will never give up in his pursuit of his people. And she knew that here. But her circumstances were really, really hard. And so often when you're in that place, we're very tempted to interpret God's character by our circumstances rather than interpreting our circumstances by what we know of God's character. By what we know in his word. It's so easy for that to happen. It, it happens in me the moment I face a hard circumstance. The moment that adversity hits in my life, it's like a natural reaction in me to say, God has abandoned me. Where are you? Rather than in the face of that moment be like, wait a minute. I know you're a God of Hesed. You're never going to leave me. I'm your child. You've rescued me. I belong to you. Your love has not been withheld from me it's not going to fail but in this moment she has seen something in the circumstances where she is reminding she says God has not abandoned his hesed that's the word that she uses here so here's the question why did this circumstance turn the lights on for what she knows about God why did this particular man Boaz bring her back to realize oh wait a minute God has not abandoned his hesed. And it's because of what she says in the next part of the verse. That man, this again, we're in verse 20. That man is our close re relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. So again, we're translating there a Hebrew word that is goal. 
Now, this was a huge concept. And so in that moment when Naomi hears Boaz, she's reminded, wait a minute. He is our goal. He is our relative, but he is our kinsman redeemer. See, this goal was a provision in the law that the nearest male relative to a family was responsible to rescue the family whenever they fell into hard times. This is a provision that's laid out in Leviticus 25. He was, this was what it meant to be a redeemer. That if, if someone in the family lost their property, if someone was sold into slavery, had a debt they couldn't pay, and had to become a servant of someone else, if the inheritance was lost, if, uh, if a woman was widowed and, um, and had no male heirs and the property and the family legacy was going to be lost, the nearest male head of the family relative was responsible to be the goal. That is to intervene, to take the problem upon himself, to buy back the property so that it would stay in the family, to marry the widow so that the family line and legacy would not be lost. It was his job as the goal, and what it meant to be the goal was to come in and to rescue, to own the problem, to take it upon himself. That's what a redeemer does. They rescue. It's different from simply being a giver. You know, we're called to be a giver, a donor. But what does a donor do? They give and they contribute, but it's from a distance. Right? It's a show of compassion. It's, it's a show of mercy. It's a show of care. It's a wonderful thing to give, to see someone in need and say, I'm going to give a little bit to help you out. That's a beautiful thing. But a goal is a totally different reality. The difference is the level of ownership. It says, I'm not just going to help from a distance. I'm going to help by getting in the hole with you. Your problem is going to be my problem. I'm going to own it. It's a picture of Hesed. I'm going to commit myself to you. I'm going to redeem what has been lost. I'm going to rescue. Even though it costs me so much. Even though I'm going to get messy. Even though I've got to get into the, the dirt and into the fray of what's broken in this relationship, a goal goes all the way in and owns the problem. And that moment, Naomi says, wait a minute. That's our Redeemer. Somehow she had just forgotten and she would just given up hope. There's no way that this could happen. But you see what Naomi has seen is that working behind the scenes, God has brought everything into place and he has brought this Redeemer into their life. And the rest of the book is going to show how God is going to work through this Redeemer to bring restoration and life to this family. It's a beautiful picture. Have you ever been a goal for somebody? Have you ever been a Redeemer? A rescuer? Have you ever had an opportunity when you see someone who's just in a, they're in a situation where they're just, they're broken, they can't, fix their own problem, they're in great need, and you come in and commit yourself to them in the long run. I had this experience a number of years ago, and I've shared this before, but when I was a pastor at Rock Creek Fellowship, there was a lady in the community, and her name was Elizabeth. Elizabeth had lived in poverty all of her life. She had terrible health problems. Her, her body was conformed. Her head kind of always was to the side, and she had shakes. And she over years of uh, a pain pill addiction, it just ravaged her body. She smoked like a chimney. She had no one to care for her, but she loved Jesus. 
And somehow she got brought into the life of our church. And we had to commit ourselves to her. And we would care for her and we would go by and see her. And then at a very critical moment in her life, her husband left, her whole family abandoned her, and she had nobody. And so we as a church had to make a decision. Are we going to be givers from a distance? Are we going to be a goal? Are we going to go all in? Are we going to stick with it for the long run? We chose to do that. And let me tell you, it was overwhelming. It was so hard. There's so many times I wanted to give up. I mean, one of the things that we had to do is, you know, she, she had to have pain medication, but she couldn't handle it. So we literally had to regulate her pain medicine. So I'm riding around in my car with a near a truckload of pain meds. <laughs> you imagine what would happen to me if I got pulled over? They'd have put me under the jail. That'd be front page news. Pastor smuggling pain pills in Dade County, Georgia. Oh, that'd be a good one, wouldn't it? See, we had to put ourselves at risk. I mean, I just remember like going over to her house and I'd just pull up in the driveway and I'd be like, okay, Jesus, help me to walk in there. Because it was hard. And we had to be committed for the long run and we wanted to give up. I learned a lot about what it meant to be a goal. Have you ever been a goal for somebody? Where you've come in and owned the problem for somebody else? You know, it's so, it's so easy whenever we see real problems and real brokenness, and especially whenever they've made the mess themselves. And just to say, you know what, I'm going to stay at a distance here. It's too risky. It's too costly. You see, what we're called to be is goals, is redeemers, is people who do hesed love to the people that God has brought in our life, that we burn the passport that we burn the ships, that there's no escape hatch, that we're all in, that we commit ourselves to people even when it hurts, that we would be that kind of community, that, but that we would also be a community that does those, for, those outside of our walls. That's a, being a picture of Hesed. How do you do that kind of Hesed? It's only when you're experiencing that Hesed deeply in your heart. You know the most amazing thing about the book of Ruth? Is this not about Ruth? And it's not about Boaz? You know what this book is about? It's about Jesus. That's the Redeemer. He said, I mean, what? Look at the picture here of this Redeemer that comes out of Bethlehem in the line of David who would in, in, insert himself in the brokenness of this family with great cost to himself, that he would take it upon himself, that he would redeem that he would rescue. It's a picture of Jesus. And that's what it points us to. It points us to the one that would see us in all of our brokenness. He would see us in the reality and the brokenness of our sin. Like, we can't rescue ourselves. We can't get ourselves out of this. And he would see us in the mess. And he would know how much it would cost. He would know that he would have to commit himself to the long run. He would know that what it would take is to go all in. To take all of our shame upon himself and all of our guilt upon himself. But that by incarnating himself into our world and into our lives, he would become our rescuer. This is about Jesus. And you can't be a goal for someone else until you're experiencing Jesus being your goal. Your rescuer. So here's my question for us this morning. Are you experiencing the rescue of Jesus? 
Now, for some of us, that question might be, have you ever experienced the rescue of Jesus? And for others of us, we might have been rescued, but yet it's so easy in the Christian life, you know, you kind of go along. Maybe there was that time in our life where we came to Christ and we were incredibly broken and very aware of our sin, and we opened our heart and we threw ourselves on Jesus and we experienced his rescue, and it was transformative. But you know what happens? You go along in the Christian life and you forget how much of a sinner you are. You forget how broken you really are. You forget how desperately in need of daily grace you really are. Right? Happens to me. You know, I'm a pretty good person. I'm doing a pretty good job here. I'm kind of avoiding any biggie sins in my life. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of doing some good stuff, going to church, reading the Bible every now and then. You know, I'm okay. Right? I just need a little help. You see, Christianity is not a religion about help. Jesus doesn't like come in and say, hey, let me help you out a little bit. Let me meet you halfway. You know, I've heard that phrase before, God helps those who help themselves. I hate that phrase. It's the anti-gospel. It's a lie. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who can't help themselves. And until you realize that's you, until you realize I am in radical, outrageous, daily need of grace, then Jesus, as your rescuer, is not going to capture your heart. It just won't. I mean, it's not going to move you. But if you're experiencing Him coming into your mess and bringing that daily grace and rescue, transforming grace, pardoning grace, justifying grace that we need every day, because the reality is every day I'm failing to love. I'm really good at loving myself. You know, every day I'm putting other things before God. I'm searching for life in things in the place of God over and over and over. And I'm going to do it tomorrow. I don't want to, but I will. <laughs> I need to be rescued. I need His grace. You see, when you get there, man, it makes you fall in love with Him. You see, when you're experiencing the rescue and grace of Jesus... You fall in love with him, and it actually begins to empower you to be a goal for other people. It, it empowers you to be a redeemer, to be those that don't love from a distance, but that love from the inside, that get down in the mess of other people's lives, that gives your life away in hesed love. But unless you're experiencing it, you can't love like that. It's too risky. It's too costly. You know, for a lot of us, we're having a hard time letting God love us because we got it all together. It is incredibly vulnerable to receive rescue. It's incredibly vulnerable to say, I cannot fix myself. But until you get there, you're not going to experience his rescue. So this morning, we get to come to the communion table. And communion is all about experiencing that rescue. It's all about for those who've, who are in Jesus, who've been rescued, who've been united to Jesus, but yet stand in daily continual need of His rescue, the table brings us back and reminds us, He has rescued me. Through His broken body and His shed blood, He is rescuing me, and one day will rescue me in full through resurrection. Communion brings us back to that reality where we encounter our rescuer 
and experience His grace together. So as we come to the table, as we do each week, we begin with a prayer of confession, which is a way of acknowledging our need of His rescue. It's a way of confessing in a radical way, I need your grace today. So let's pray this prayer of confession as we prepare our hearts to come to His table and receive His grace. And let me encourage you, it's very easy for the things that we do to just become rote ritual. I just go through the motions. Let me encourage you, make this your prayer. Let this resonate with your heart. Offer the truth of your need up to Him in this prayer. And we'll have a moment where you can confess your sin private, um, uh, silently to the Lord. But let's pray together and let's lift up our hearts and just acknowledge our, our radical need of His grace together. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against You in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved You with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In Your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us change what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in Your will and walk in Your ways to the glory of Your holy name. Now take a few moments to confess silently your sin to the Lord. Father, we confess that we need you today just as much as we did our first day of believing in you. Lord, we stand in continual need of your grace because we are continually running after life and created things. We are continually putting things ahead of you. And so often, Lord, we just bring you leftovers. We come and our hearts are so cold to you while the things of this world mesmerize and grab our hearts. Lord, we confess that we don't love in the way that you've called us to love. That when we see the needs of others, the tendency of our heart is to run the other way. And Lord, so often our hearts are cold and closed to you and other people. Lord, we need your grace. Jesus, we need fresh washing and covering of your righteousness. So would you come at this table? Would you set apart these elements so that, Lord, in this experience, in this encounter with you, the gospel would become more real and powerful in our hearts? Would you come and let us experience your radical rescue, your radical grace at your table? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I just hear this uh, assurance of pardon from one of my favorite passages that just so explicitly reminds us of the gospel. I've talked about this before. We have to know how to preach the gospel to ourselves. Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to use 
the scripture on your own heart. You need to have those scriptures where the gospel is just so clear. This is one of those for me where when I'm doubting, when I'm struggling, when I'm just cloaked in shame and guilt, I can take this scripture and just go to work on my heart and be reminded of the power of the cross. Listen to what Paul says here in Colossians chapter 1. Once you were alienated from God. This used to be true of you before Christ. And you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, through Jesus, he has reconciled you. He has reconciled you. Past completed action. By Christ's physical body through death. To present you holy in his sight. Without blemish and free from accusation. If you are here today and you are in Christ. Regardless of what you might feel about yourself. You are blameless in his sight and free from accusation we stand holy before the eyes of the holy god because of the work of christ so receive that and just let the truth of that at the table sink deeply into your hearts